we've been um, going through Colossians together as a church. And, um, you know, if you weren't here the last couple weeks, you can go online and listen uh, to the two previous chapters. But just want to encourage you this morning that we as a church believe in the scriptures. We believe that God speaks, he has spoken, and he speaks through scriptures. We believe that the Holy Spirit of God comes and makes it alive in us. When we read the scriptures and when we open ourselves up in prayer and when we go to God with his word, then he speaks to us and he speaks in relevant ways that change and transform and lead, lead us in him. And so anyways, all that to say, we love the Bible at River City Church. We believe it's a great place to be able to go and understand who God is. And so for that reason, we've been going through Colossians. Today, we're going to take a look at Colossians 3. Let me just pray for this time and just invite the Spirit to come and to do everything that we believe that he does when we, we open up his word. So God, we thank you uh, that you have sought us out, that you have pursued us, that you have um, brought us into a righteous relationship with you. And we pray right now that you would speak through your scriptures, that you would speak, that you would find a way to work through me, um, a broken person, and just make your words come alive. Speak right into the circumstances that we're in. Somehow, do it. We know you can. By your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, when I first became a Christian, I mean, I was like, I was super Jesus freak, right? I became a Christian when I was about 21, 22 years old. And um, I started a company a little while later and I was working this contract in Chattanooga. And so I would fly up there on, on uh, Monday morning and I would fly back on Friday night. I didn't know anybody in Chattanooga. I was just working at this hospital. The hospital, the department that I was working with, they closed down about 4.30. So literally like 4.30, I'm done and I'm in Chattanooga with nothing to do. But I'm super uber Jesus freak. So I'm like, what would Jesus do? Like, what, what, what can I do? And so I came up with this great scheme that Jesus would ride the city bus. City bus is awesome. City bus, like, you meet people. You're going to meet people, people that you might not normally meet. And so I would ride the bus, and I would go every day, and I would ride the bus around, and I would meet people. And the goal was always to, you know, strike up a conversation with somebody, to be able to get to know somebody, and to be able to go to dinner with somebody different. Every, and, you know, because I'm on the dime of the hospital, you know? So I'm like, I'm gonna take somebody to dinner every night, you know, a homeless person or a person that I, 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 you know, I normally wouldn't hang out with or I wouldn't rub shoulders with, you know? And it was this great experience, but it was a crazy experience. But this one time there was this guy and so I'm striking up a conversation with him on the bus. We're talking, we're talking for a while. And, and at some point he starts to ask himself, like, why is this dude talking to me? Like, like, why is this white guy, like, getting into these deep conversations with me. And so he, he thinks he figures it out. And he goes, hey, you, uh, I'm like, he's like, you want to buy you? <laughs> so he's trying to sell me drugs. And I go, no, man. I said, I just, I wanted to get to know you. I just want to tell you about my life and how God has changed and transformed me. He's like, you're a Christian? I'm a deacon in my church. I wish that was a joke. I wish that I had just made up that whole story. I'm like, dude, you just tried to sell me drugs. And he's like, no, 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 no. I mean, the, here's the thing. We believe 
in a gospel of grace. We believe that Jesus came and that he gave us free. We were dead. We were like dead people. There was nothing that we could do to earn God's salvation. And so he gives us salvation. He gives us righteousness. He gives us holiness. It's all a gift. There's nothing you can do to earn it. And is there a potential um, to abuse that? Absolutely. Is there a way that maybe we don't grasp it, that maybe we don't understand what it means and that we could live a life that is crippled or handicapped, even though we've received this incredible gift of grace? And so Paul, in chapter 3, I believe he is following up. He's been talking about um, the gospel and living out the gospel as a community of believers, as, as a church, as people that come together and believe in Jesus how can we live our lives? And how, what, how should we approach and think about what God has done in a way that when false teaching comes into the church, we can stand against it? And so all that, we're going to start in verse um, 1 of chapter 3. Since then, since then, so he's following up from, from the last chapter. Since then, we've talked about the gospel. We've talked about the, the, the fruitless ways that we have tried to impress God in the past. Since then, you have been raised You have been raised with Christ. Remember, he's talking to believers. He's talking to the church. You've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Set the the center of your being. Set it. Focus it. Focus on things above. Why? Because up above, Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your hearts on that place where Christ is absolutely in his place. His will is absolute. The kingdom of God is realized in a perfect way. Set your hearts on things above from the perspective of Christ, from the perspective of heaven. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died. You died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You died. And your life is hidden. Think about that. I mean, this is something that we will struggle to grasp for the rest of our lives. You died. Conversion to Christ. When you say, you know what, I'm going to put my faith in Christ. When, when you say, I'm going to be... I'm going to follow Christ. I'm, I put my faith in what he's done for me. I put my faith in, in, in the things that I believe about what Jesus has done to bring me into relationship. That means death. It means death. It means, that's why when we, when we are baptized, we are symbolizing death. That we, we go under the water, that we die like Christ died, and then we rise the way that Christ rose. We rise in newness. The Tom that loved the world more than Christ died on the day that I became a Christian. The old you died when you put your faith in Christ. The old you is dead. We must struggle with that. Of what, what does that mean? And how do, I, how do I live a new life? How do I live as a new person? If we want to live and we want to work and we want to fight for righteousness for living out the righteousness that God has given us, for actually having it manifest in who we are, we need to live and work and fight for that. And for me, and you know, I don't know if this is just my story. Um, I I know there's people here today that can receive freedom from this, but I, I just know that when I first became a Christian, I loved this concept. There was freedom for me in the concept of I died and my life is hidden in Christ Galatians 2.20, Paul says, you know, I have been crucified with Christ and no longer live. 
I have been crucified with Christ and no longer live. The life I live, I live now by faith. Christ lives in me. He loved me and he gave himself up for me. I mean, that was like, I, I would read that over and over again and I felt renewed. I felt life. I felt like I could go ride the city bus around Chattanooga and it was totally cool. Man, I'm dead. I, I, I'm like a new person. Now it's, not, it's no longer Tom. It's Christ that, that's riding the city bus. It's Christ in me. And I found freedom. There was no more expectations. Any expectations that had been placed on me, the rat race that I had been in, I'm disqualified, baby. I died. I died. You want to pick on me? You're picking on a dead guy. Wow, good for you. You can pick on a dead guy. You know what I mean? And now some of this, I got to be honest with you. Like I have an older brother. My older brother went to Florida State. I went to Florida. I went to I went to the better school. And you know, like every, every, uh, every Florida, Florida State game was like this humiliation fest. Like one of us was going to be humiliated. It will inevitably happen. And we would, you know, go to each other's school and whatever. So, you know, I'd always had this competitive relationship with my brother. And I remember just feeling this freedom of, you know what? I'm out. I've been crucified with Christ. I don't care about the rest. I don't care how much money I make. I don't care if I go and I do this or if I do that. I, don't, I still care if the Gators win. But I don't, I, it, doesn't, it doesn't affect me the same way. I have been crucified with Christ. You want to make fun of me? Man, it's Christ in me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm beyond that now. You can't hurt me. My ego, and this is, this is a hard part. This is what I, I, I know for myself that I will struggle for the rest of my life is dealing with my own pride. If I, can, if I can really get my head around the fact that it is not me, it's Christ in me, that leads us to a place, leads me to a place of humility, of recognizing any accomplishment, anything good that comes, it's Christ in me that, that makes that happen. Death as freedom. Some of you this morning, man, Paul's word for you is set your hearts on things above. Set your hearts on things above and find freedom from the pressures, the expectations that your parents or someone has placed on you. Find freedom from those things. You died. Your life is hidden in Christ. Your old life, it, it, it's over. You are free. If that means that you're going to go, whatever, I'm going to bag groceries at public so that I can hang out with people and meet them, or I'm going to drive a city bus because I get to hang, whatever. Like, you could do that. You could absolutely do that. You're out of, of whatever expectations, anything that was part of your life before, you're free. What does Christ look like in you? Go do it. Go experience it. There's freedom there. Okay, he goes on. Colossians um, 3, starting in verse 5, he says, put to death. Put to death. Think about it. You've died. You've died. And your, your life is hidden in Christ. But then he goes on to say, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Whatever is part of what, literally what touches the earth, anything that's here, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, because of this junk, the wrath of God is coming. These are the, these are the actual things that, that brought the wrath of God, the reason that Jesus had to come and had to, had to deal with that judgment on our behalf. You used to walk in these waves in the life that you once lived, but now, but now you must rid yourself. 
Or a better way to say it would be to put aside. You must put those things aside, like almost like clothes. You must take them off. All such things as anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And so you read that and you're like, well, okay, okay, you had me at freedom and God giving me holiness. Now you're just giving me rules. Paul. Paul used to be a Pharisee. Paul, are you reverting? Right? Are you going back to the old way? Are you just going to give me a list of rules? Like, I even hate that in the NIV they put the, the, like the heading over the, over the section is rules for holy living. It's like, Guys, did you read chapter 2? You know, Paul goes out of his way to make this point that, look, any Christianity that is bound up in rules for holy living will ultimately fail. Anything that is about your effort to try and live a holy life will ultimately fail. That's kind of the way he ends chapter 2 of, look, there's this this deceptive philosophy. You're not going to be able to do it. You're not going to be able to do that. If, if you just try to, to, to do a rule, if you just try to live up to that, it's not going to happen. So you, you ask the question, Paul, dude, seriously, what, are, you, are you reverting? Are you going back to something else? Are you contradicting yourself? But Paul, earlier in chapter 1, he says things like, we have been rescued from our self-destructive sins, that we have been reconciled by Christ, that we have been placed in Christ. He makes the point that Righteousness is defined as being in Christ. That's the defining factor of being a Christian, is that you are in Christ. Not, not that you don't slander, not that you don't, you know what I mean? Like, not that you don't do these things. So, so we, have, we have to figure out, well, how, what is Paul saying? How do, how do we connect the dots there? And hopefully I'm going to do that for you today. But one, one thing that I want to make absolutely clear is when he, when he said this to the audience that he was talking to, when he laid these things out, it wasn't new. That wasn't a new paradigm. That wasn't anything different than what they had expected. Those are the very same things that as a Pharisee or probably any religious attempt to impress God would say, you know what? Anger is a bad thing. It's not like anybody was going, whoa, tell me about this new teaching that you have. You know what I mean? Like, that's not new. That's not new stuff. What was new about it was Jesus, what Paul was saying is that being in Christ, you are righteous. These things don't make you righteous. This is a new paradigm. It's a new way of looking at life. Okay, so let's take a look at, at how he, he does this, how I believe that he does this. I think it's, he's, it's this concept of set your hearts, set your hearts on things above, put to death the old man. He says um, in, chapter t- in chapter 2, he also said, since you died with Christ to the basic principles of the world, why? Why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? And we look at that and we go, ha-ha, you don't, I don't have to submit to any rules because those are earthly things. But Paul, that applies as well to, to the sin that we, we find ourselves in. He's saying, why? Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why is it you still belong to it? Do you submit yourself to its rules? Do you submit yourself to sin? Do you continue to walk in this way? Why? You've been set free. You've been set free from that sin. That's a shift. 
it's, it's no longer, you are no longer a slave to sin. You no longer have to walk in those ways. That old man is dead and yet put him to death. It's this Christian paradox that we always run into. It's the already and not yet. You have already, the old man's already dead, but you need to put him to death. He's already dead, but you, you need to experience it in the now. It's already happened, but you haven't experienced it. Another way to say it would be that Paul taught that the, the triumph over sin and death in Christ has already been realized in heaven above. It's already been realized invisibly in heaven, and therefore it must also be realized visibly on earth. Set your hearts on things above. From above, all those things are dead. All those things are gone. All those things are powerless. Now you just need to live that way. You just need to live in a way that shows that those things no longer have power because they don't. The spirit of God lives in you. They have no power over you. The the reign of sin is over. The reign of grace has come through Jesus Christ. We pray, kingdom of God, reign on earth. Reign on earth as it is in heaven. We want to experience that. And he's telling us we will go through this process for the rest of our lives of trying to put to death that old man, that old man who who struggles to, to, to come back to life in us. He's already dead, Paul says, and yet we need to put him to death. We need to seek it out and make sure that we don't fall into that. He says that we Um, that the new self is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. That we're being renewed, that this is the the, the life that we will continue to live. Because, I mean, it's so hard. You hear a message like that and you're like, well, am I even a Christian because I still screw up? Does that mean that the old man's not dead? Does that mean that maybe I'm not dead? (laughs) Somebody else was talking about. Maybe, maybe I didn't do it right. Maybe I didn't say the prayer the what right way. But, but Paul is making the point, no, you might not feel it, you might not see it, but set your hearts on things above because above it's been taken care of. Now live it out. Live it out. You no longer have to give in to those old ways. Set your hearts on things above and put off your old self. And he goes on in, in verse 11. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all. Christ is all and is in all. And, okay, we don't have a lot of barbarians and Scythians running around. So you might not, you're like, okay, Paul, you lost me. But for them, this is, an, this is a radical statement. This crosses all boundaries, all divisions of ethnicity and religion and culture. And Paul is making the point. He's about to say something I think that is um, life-changing in terms of how we approach life. But anyways... What, he, what he's saying is there are no more divisions. Why? Because the old man's dead. The Scythian, the barbarian, that person is dead and now he's raised and Christ is in him. There are no more divisions. And, and you go, well, okay, how do I apply that? Well, in our lives, we have Republicans, we have Democrats, we have Presbyterians, we have non-denomination, we have, we have all these different ways of Team Edward, Team Jacob. We come up... Team Jacob. So you come up with all these different ways to divide yourselves. You come up with all these different ways to bring in divisions. But when you are in Christ, you are free of those things. There should no longer be divisions. This is absolutely radical thinking. Christ is in all. Christ is in all. It doesn't matter. And you know, the the barbarian and the Scythian, you know, these are, these are the most uncouth, uh, 
barbarians, you know, like I, I'm trying to think like white trash and there's no more white trash and high society people. There is no more. We are all in all. It's amazing. Um, and it's radical. Okay. So then he goes on to say, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Again, with the list, Paul. Like, really? Is that what it's about? Now, follow me on this. I believe the concept that he's getting, that he's trying to get across, is that holy living results from being holy. Righteous living results from being righteous. In other words, he's making the point that you are these things. Think about it. You are holy. Think about that first. You are holy. Dude selling me drugs on the, I didn't buy him, on the bus is holy. You're holy. Paul's saying, live that way. You are holy. You're chosen. You're dearly loved. That is absolutely a different paradigm. That's the paradigm of Jesus. When Jesus comes across the Pharisees, what does he say? You know, blessed are those who, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? Because it's, you're going to receive it through me. I'm going to give it to you. Yes. <laughs> like a child. <laughs> Paul says, <laughs> first time I've seen that happen. This is staggering. This is staggering if we can grasp it because Paul is saying, again, don't fall into these things. Why? Because you're dead to those things. Fall into these things because that's who you are. You are holy. You are righteous. Live in a way that shows that. And he gives us, you know, some examples. I don't think the, the, the specific things that he lists, you know, he lists five vices and five virtues, but I don't think that that's what, what's important. I think what's important is he's trying to give us the characteristics, the character of who we need to live, how we need to live based on what we've already received in Christ. That's what's already inside of you. That's the righteousness that you've already received. Live from that place. This is offensive. This is offensive to other faiths. This is a, grace should be offensive because I am telling you, the guy trying to sell me drugs on the bus he absolutely is righteous. If he's, actually, if he's put his faith in Christ, now he might not be manifesting it. <laughs> he might not be showing it, but he has received the righteousness of Christ and it's been given to him. Jesus was made sin. He actually became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. Now, Paul is saying, because you are the righteousness of God, live righteously. You are no longer a slave to the old man. You're no longer a slave to sin. You can live out of that place of already being righteous. The transformed life is a result. It's an expression of God's grace, of what we've already received. Encouraging us to become what we've already become in and with Christ. Setting our hearts on the way that Christ sees us, on the way that God sees us. Well, I don't feel holy. I don't feel righteous. Well, feelings are only so, you know, have they ever let you down before? Like nobody's going to, oh no, my feelings are always right. You might not feel it. You might not believe it. But that's why we look in the scriptures. And that's why, that's why God 
is so consistently, you people have bad memory. James is like, it's like you look in the mirror and you walk away and you forget what you look like. It's like I'm telling you that you are holy and that you are righteous and that you're dearly loved and then you turn and you walk away and you live a life as if you're not. Paul is saying, man, put the old man aside. That's not who you are anymore. You've been crucified with Christ. The life you live, you live by faith and Christ lives through you. Set your hearts on things above and live up. Live up to what you've already attained in him. And then the last, the last little bit that we'll go through. In the process of setting our hearts on things above, Paul is all of the scripture. And what's interesting is if you were to go back and read from the very beginning, everything that we talked about so far this morning, it's all within the context of community. Even the five vices and the five virtues that he lists, they're all about, they're all about community. They're things that, that the vices are things that damage community, lying to each other, slandering, abusive language. These are things that hurt community. And, and the, the things that he talks about that are good, the virtues, these are things that encourage community. Remember, Paul is writing this letter to a community of believers with the expectation that it's going to be read to the community and then it's going to be distributed to other communities of believers. Paul is telling us, starting in verse 13, bear with each other. Bear with each other. It doesn't say hang out with each other. Bear with each other. Another way to say it is endure. It will require endurance. Endure with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Complete unity. We are called to community. It's, it's who we are. It's who we are as, as people, as God's creation. We are called to community. And everything that he's talked about so far is telling us that we are equipped. You're able to do this. You're able to go into a perfect community. The righteousness, you know, right is a right relationship. We are in a righteous relationship with God. And that righteousness transforms our relationship with each other. We are now, we can be in righteous relationship with each other. By that same power, we can receive righteousness in our relationships with each other. But you know what? bear with each other. It's not going to be easy. There is some level of effort that has to be put forward. We are called to be a new humanity with no divisions. What distinguishes us that we're in Christ? It doesn't matter. Some of you here may be barbarians. It doesn't matter. We are all in Christ and we are called to be in relationship, that we're called to be in community. And, and, and if you are not struggling with bearing with each other, maybe you're not in community. Maybe your relationships are superficial. Maybe there's not a real intimacy. You know, we had our funny announcement about core, but core is an incredible experience. I can't speak for, for women, but for guys, we tend not to be intimate with each other. That just doesn't even sound right. <laughs> core makes us get to this place of being vulnerable with each other and sharing things and, and just for no other reason, I think, but to get us to the place of community, of becoming how God expects us to live our lives, not in isolation. Come out of isolation into community. And if you do that, you will find that Paul's words make a lot more sense. 
bear with each other with the expectation that it will require some level of effort. It's not just going to happen. There will be conflict. To bear with each other means to put up with, put up with persons who rub us the wrong way. It doesn't suggest that we're supposed to just be cordial with each other, but that there is an intimacy, there's a relationship that requires us to bear with one another. Paul calls us to be vulnerable to grace. Man, think about that for a concept. Vulnerable, like vulnerable to grace. And that means somebody that you wouldn't normally hang out with, somebody that maybe you don't like, that you don't get along with. You are vulnerable to that person. You are vulnerable to grace. Why? Because grace has been given to both of you. You are both in Christ. Christ is in all. And in this process, we achieve a new intimacy where hostility might have once existed. We might have been on opposing ends of whatever spectrum you want. Team Jacob and Team Edward can get along. Democrats and Republicans can come to church and get along. Why? Because we make that effort. Because we we recognize that we are in Christ. We have been set free. This is... We have been set free from anything that prevents us from reconciling with God. There is nothing. Jesus has taken care of it all. There's nothing that prevents us from our reconciliation with God. And there is nothing to prevent us from our reconciliation with each other. We, Paul, is encouraging us to achieve that, to to, to pursue that, to take that same righteousness that we have with the Father and live it out with each other. Set your hearts on things above and join the community of God. Let me pray, and then we're going to have a special time of communion, I think, um, as we get to practice this, as we get to do it together as community. So let me pray for us.